Good to be with you. Good to be with God's people, amen, the house of God. We've still got quite a few folks out, um, new babies and some folks out of town and different things that are going on uh, with different of our church members right now, but it's good to see you here today, and we want God to be, uh, to be magnified. I pray that God would speak to your heart this morning. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Appreciate Dee teaching Sunday school this class this morning on the uh, the faithfulness of God and Tricia teaching the children. We have such wonderful teachers and ministers of His Word. I'm very thankful for that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. Read this one scripture with me. This is going to be our theme for this morning. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Sunday morning series on the law and all the misunderstandings of the law and trying our best by the word of God to to get a better understanding of the law and God's purpose in the law. And we studied the lawgiver, this holy, not Moses, but the lawgiver, the Lord. And he gave it to Moses and so forth. And but make no mistake about it that everything is better in Christ. And I, do want to, I don't want to leave the impression, I don't, don't think that I have, but after this seven-week study in the law, how wonderful the law was and it, it satisfying the purpose of God. It was never intended to be a Savior. And it was never being, uh, intended to be the means by which men were justified before God. It's always been by faith. But the law was wonderful and spiritual and good and holy and just, the Bible says. But make no mistake about it that everything is better in Christ. Everything is better since he came and died on the cross. And we're going to talk about this today. And this is what the scripture said. Let's look at it again. For the law made nothing perfect. The law did not. Now the law pointed men to the one who could. But the bringing in of a better hope did. That's Jesus. By the which we draw nigh or near unto the Lord. I'm going to read this scripture. If you're taking notes, you take the notes and, and I'll tell you where it's coming from, but I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 and 11. Now, speaking about Jesus, it says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. The Lord has made every believer an able minister of the New Testament. You say, well, that's just for pastors. That's just for evangelists. Uh, no, He's made every one of us, if you're born again, truly are born again. He has made us that. Able ministers of the New Testament. New Testament is the new covenant. Okay? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth. Remember, there was a curse under the law. And uh, that they pronounced a judgment and condemnation and all fell short of the glory of God. All under the law uh, were faced with their sin and all were quickly found guilty. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. For if that which is done away, that's the first covenant, the old covenant with Moses, okay? If that which is done away was glorious, and it was, much more that which remaineth is glorious. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, that would have been the law, much more that the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Everything's better in Jesus. Don't make any mistake about it. Don't think there's no difference to live 
uh, under the law, so to speak, or, or in Christ. There is a difference. And I just want to talk about it a little bit. Don't, don't forget this, and I, I'm going to mention it again because I just feel that it's so important that the law of Moses, it's called the law of Moses or the Levitical law, or the, the, the law given on Mount Sinai, right? About 1,500 years before Jesus came to the earth and for perfectly fulfilled it, the law was given by the lawgiver, God, to the lawgiver, I'll say with a little L, Moses, to the people, the Hebrew people. It was given for a specific time, for a specific people, for a specific purpose. And in, in a nutshell, the purpose of the law, it says in Galatians chapter 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law was not Christ. The law was not a Savior. Old Testament and New Testament, the Word of God, the Lord says, look unto me and be saved. Look unto me and be saved. Don't look unto the law and think you're going to be saved by the law. You're not. But the law, if you'll follow it out by faith, is pointing you to Christ. So the, wherefore the law is our, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified how? By faith. Same way Abraham was 430 years before the law. The same way David was under the law. The same way uh, men are today on this side of the cross. We're still justified by faith. Amen? Abraham, the Bible says, let's say the Scriptures, Abraham believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, counted it unto him for righteousness. So the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law also, and one of the ways that the law brings men to Christ is by showing us our sin. Sins that we've committed and our sinfulness. Okay? Not just that I did a few bad things. Under the law we see that every mouth may be stopped, the Bible says, and all the world may become guilty before God. The law is very good at that. It's holy, it's just, it's perfect, like the God who gave it. And we're not. We're sinners. Born in sin. Conceived in sin, like David talks about. In sin, my mother did conceive me. We're sinners by nature, being descendants of Adam. But that law is showing us, hey, look, you're in a bad shape. You're guilty under the law. You, the wrath of God is abiding upon you. You are under condemnation, but there's a Savior. The schoolmaster is pointing us to the Savior. The law is showing us you've sinned. That says in Romans 7 that, that sin may become exceeding sinful. In other words, it just takes sin and even elevates it even more. You say, I'm not just a little better than the people around me. No, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I haven't done just a few bad things. I'm a sinner through and through. There's none good. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that understands. None. That means me. That means you. The law is very good at, at pointing that out. And you can't escape it. And so what it does is it drives you to a place to cry out to God for mercy. And say, okay... I see, I see, Lord, the weight of the law is upon me. The weight of my own sin is upon me. I understand it. And I'm crying out to the lawgiver. First series that lesson I think we did on this was about the lawgiver. He's the lawgiver. He will save us. The lawgiver. He will save us. Isn't that wonderful? The one who gave the law is also the one that will save us. 
We don't have to look anywhere else. We look to the Lord. But Jesus Christ came about 1,500 years after the law was given on Moses uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. He's always been. He's the eternal God. But He came and, and became flesh and perfectly fulfilled the law. Nobody before Him did fulfill the law. Nobody since Him has fulfilled the law. Nobody could fulfill the law but Christ, the sinless one. A child of Adam couldn't fulfill it. The Son of God could fulfill it. Amen? And He did. And so He per perfectly satisfied the law. I know we've talked about this. This is actually not a lesson on the law today. This is a lesson on everything's better in Jesus. Okay? But the Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ Himself. So think about this. The law didn't just stop one day. God instituted it and it had to be fulfilled. It didn't just sort of fade away one day and become insignificant. Something major happened. The law was given and the law was fulfilled. Not by man, but by the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus. When He came at His first coming, He said, don't think I'm come to destroy the law. I'm not come to destroy it. I'm come to fulfill it. He says every jot and every tittle, that's every little uh, alphabet characteristic, every bit of it has to be fulfilled. Okay? And Christ fulfilled it. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. So at His first coming, He ended it. And at the same moment He ended it, at that same moment, He started a new covenant. He ended the first covenant and He introduced the second covenant in His blood. By ending one, instantly He Himself instituted the new one. It happened at the same moment. Christ fulfilled the law that was given and instituted the new covenant or the New Testament in His blood. A new covenant. So we call this the New Testament. Jesus said this is the New Testament or new covenant in my blood. This is different. Not the blood of animals. Okay? Not laws written on tables of stone. This is the new covenant in my blood. And by calling that new, the Bible, and I'm paraphrasing Hebrews and, and other passages, that the former one is now considered old. And it is. So you and I, we've said it often, we'll say it again, we're not under the law. But that, Galatians 3.25, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. After faith has come, and we, our eyes are open and we see Christ. And Christ, we say faith has come. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, that covenant of faith that was made even before the law was given. After that was fulfilled in Jesus at His first coming, we're no longer under a tutor or a schoolmaster to point us to Christ. Christ has come now. Christ has come now. And everything is better in the Lord. And so, uh, the Bible says in Romans 8, if you're taking notes, Romans 8, 2-4, for the law of the Spirit of life, not the law of Moses, not the law of sin and death, not the law of, uh, of, the, of the flesh. There are several laws. I said there's at least six laws Mentioned in, the, in Romans alone. So we need to be understand what more we're talking about. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the, the law, the law of Moses, could not do 
in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that we may have the righteousness of the law fulfilled in us. Think about that. I said all these men and women lived under the law. They couldn't fulfill it, couldn't fulfill it, couldn't fulfill it. The best of men couldn't fulfill it. But that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8, 2-4. So there is a righteousness to the law. But the righteousness of the law is not ours other than in Christ. Because men can't fulfill it. There is a righteousness to the law. That the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So Christ fulfilled it all. I'm going to give a quote from us. Uh, a minister, a man of God. He says this, We cannot come to Christ to be justified until we have first been to Moses, that's speaking of the law, to be condemned. But once we have gone to Moses and acknowledged our sin, remember that's the purpose of it, acknowledged our sin, our guilt and condemnation, we must not stay there. And a lot of people stay there. The, the, the Jews in Jesus' day stayed there. They knew a Messiah was coming, Right? When Jesus was born, a little infant, before his ministry even began, the wise men came to town looking for, you know, the, the uh, following the star, and the star led them to Jesus, and they worshipped the Lord. And Herod says, "Well, where is, where is he?" You know, and he asked the uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, "Where is the Savior of the Jews supposed to be born?" Because it was well prophesied of. And they said in, in Bethlehem, and they give this the scripture, but they weren't even looking for him when he came. He came and they didn't know it. And, and this, this minister says, once we've gone to Moses, we must not stay there, or the law, we must let Moses send us to Christ. And he does. If we'll allow him to. If we'll seek it by faith. David got it. You understand what I'm saying? David understood it. We've talked a lot about David, but the reason I use David so much is because he was a man that lived under that time when the law was in force. And yet he didn't hate it. He didn't despise it. Oh, how I love thy law. Psalm 119, it is my meditation all the day. He, uh, he just talks about the goodness of the law, the wisdom of the law, the holiness of the law, how it teaches him to be wise, how it shows him the things of God. He loved it, but he, never, he understood that he never looked to the law to be my Savior. I looked to the lawgiver to be my Savior. Lord, wash me, forgive me. Lord, it's not, it's not burnt offerings and sacrifices that You want. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God. Thou will not despise. Uh, I confessed my sins to, to the Lord, He says, and Thou forgavest me the iniquity of my heart. You forgave me. So David understood it. He understood the goodness of the law, but he also understood the purpose of the law. And he looked to God to save him, not the law. A lot of people... In Jesus' day, and, and we have plenty of examples all through the Scriptures, they still were hanging on to Abraham or to Moses or to the law or to their Jewish heritage, and it got them nowhere because they didn't seek it by faith. Jesus said, if you'd have known uh, my father, you would know me. You know, you speak of Abraham. Well, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And they didn't, they didn't turn to Jesus. They stayed there. Now, the fact that believers are not under the law, that's well established. We're not under the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
The fact that we as Christians are not under the law does not mean that we are all lawless or to be lawless. We talked about that. And so uh, I just want to read a couple of scriptures here. You know what we're to be like? We're We're to be like Jesus. And Jesus, when you look at his life, was very disciplined. He only did the things he saw his father doing. He only said the things he heard his father saying. He never just lost his temper and just blurted something out. Have you done it? I have. Just, it's my own fault. It's my own, uh, or I saw something that irritated me and bothered me, and I'm going to take care of this, and I'm just going to handle it myself. And it wasn't at all God. And I just did, as a Christian, I've done things like that. Jesus didn't. He was very disciplined. He wasn't lawless, so to speak. He wasn't following uh, every little uh, precept just, just for a precept's sake. He was, he was in obedience to His Father. And so I kind of liken that to the moral law. Us being as believers, we're not lawless. We're not lawless at all. And, and I know for time's sake, I'm not going to read all this, but this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. Hebrews 10.16, and it's quoted from Jeremiah. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws where? Now this is part of the new covenant. After those days, he says, this is the new covenant I'm going to make. I will put my laws, plural, into their hearts, and in, in their minds I will write them. So he takes the moral law, not the civil law, not the dietary restrictions and all that kind of stuff, but loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Loving your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. The moral law. Our relationship with God and our relationship and love for others, even our enemies. This is, this is like summing up the law. Because if I'm loving God with all my heart and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to murder them. Because I love God and He said thou shalt not kill. And I love Him even though He's my enemy and I'm not going to murder Him. So all the law and the prophets, they don't go away. They're fulfilled in Christ and they're written on our hearts. And we don't stare at the law. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And we'll say, okay, I got. what were those laws again, Lord? Of course we read the Word of God and we have the instructions and the commandments of the Lord. But our focus is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if I keep my eyes on Him and walking by faith in Him, he, my Good Shepherd is going to steer me in the right way. I'm not going to be stealing or bearing false witness and these kind of things. I will be fulfilling the righteousness of the law as it's written on my heart and written in my mind. Ezekiel 36, a new heart also will I give you. This is part of the new covenant. Spoken way back before Jesus came. During the time when the old covenant was still in place, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Isn't this better? Saying everything's better in Jesus? Isn't that better? He's saying this is going to be better. This is part of the new covenant in Jesus, in his blood. And will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you should keep my judgments and do them. He says you're going to. I'm by, by, the, by the Holy Ghost, by His work in, in our lives. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 3, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but we are the epistles of God. It says, written not with ink, 
and not written upon tables of stone, but written by the Spirit of the living God. This is part of that new covenant. Written by the Spirit of the living God and written on the fleshly tables of the heart. That's better. Our lesson today, our sermon today is everything's better in Jesus. Don't think that there's no difference. Men were always justified by faith from Enoch on. Okay? All through every dispensation, men have always been justified before God by faith and received righteousness accounted to, to men by faith in the Lord. But everything is better since Jesus came. Don't make any mistake about it. He's part of this new covenant. I'm going to write this on your heart. That's part of the new covenant. Not on tables of stone that you have to refer to or look up at and, and memorize, but written in our hearts and in our minds. Okay? And that's better because what it refers to is a genuine heart change. The Lord actually coming into the heart of man and changing it. Y'all understand that Christianity is, is in a million ways different than, than every other religion. But one of the main ways it's different than every other religion. You pick it. You pick whatever religion you want to. And the difference in Christianity and that religion, one of the main things is that it's something real that takes place within the heart of man. It's not simply towing the line and sticking to this uh, creed that somebody wrote. Okay? It is a work of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't be deceived that don't, the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, drunkards, and a whole list of sinful people. They're not going to heaven. But he says, such were some of you. But now you're washed and you're sanctified and you're cleansed by the Spirit of God and so forth. So God takes people that were fornicators and that were adulterers and that were murderers and that were blasphemers and that were liars and were drunkards and they practice that sin. And when they give their life to Jesus, He changes their heart. And they're not that anymore. They are not that anymore. Find another religion that can do that. You cannot. Find another God or a Savior that can do that. You cannot. The Lord says, there's no other name under heaven where I'm given among men whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. And Jesus said, and again, this is a, uh, a messianic, messianic prophecy in the Psalms. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. That's different. He didn't just say that your law is good or your law is written on the tables of stone. I can read the Ten Commandments and follow them. He says, I delight to do your will. That's a first, right? Where it's really his joy to serve God. And that is the same Holy Spirit that's in us. All right? And yea, thy law is within my heart. Not just men trying to keep Ten Commandments or keep laws that are written on stone and, and failing. There's such a futility to that and a frustration to that. But men actually having the power by the Holy Spirit to keep these laws. That is in Christ. Okay, That is in Christ. Don't forget... I say it again, that the, the commandments, the Bible says in Romans 7, we don't have time to read it, but read if you do 7, 12 through 14, for the law is good, and the commandment is good and just and holy, for we know that the law is spiritual. That means it has its origins in the Holy Spirit, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's what Paul said. 
The law is good, just, holy, spiritual. Can't beat that. All right? But it can't save anybody. Only the lawgiver can save. And He gave His Son to be that. Now in Christ, we're not uh, vainly trying to keep the, the laws of God and to please God. Because it's in vain. We can't do it on our own. Now in Christ, we are in Christ. Okay? And His Spirit is in us. We're, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that there was a, a price that was paid for us. Amen? And that price was the blood of Jesus. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. The day you said, I do to Jesus, then you gave your life to the Lord. You might not have understood it fully, but I'm telling you now, the Word of God is telling you now, and of course you're learning it not more as we grow in the Lord. But the day you gave your life to Jesus and said, save me from my sin, you became His. It's like a wedding. When you said, I do to the Lord, forsaking all others to you will I cleave and hold, uh, then we're married to the Lord. The Bible gives that comparison of the believer in Christ to, uh, to a marriage, to a husband and wife. And so, there's a price that was paid for us, but for our eternal souls. But y'all, also in our salvation, in New Testament Christianity, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually walk this thing out now. And that is better. It's wonderful. To, to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can actually live a life Christ-like life. It's not me trying to mimic the Lord. I've said this before. It's not you trying to imitate Christ. Let me get real good studied, good and studied up on Jesus. And then I'm going to go, uh, all right, Jesus, I got it now. And I'll leave that there. And I'm going to go try to live like Jesus. It won't work. We'll fall flat on our face. To, to love your enemy, you can't do that. To love your neighbor as yourself, you can't do that. But empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we can. This is better. This is wonderful that we can really live this way. We can actually love people because what Romans 5, 5 says, but the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love of God, this agape perfect love, not only for us, but through us, is shed abroad where? In our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit. So by the Spirit of God, we can live this way. And you say, that, boy, that's a high and lofty standard to live up to. You better believe it is. It's the perfect standard. Christ, our standard. And yet, He lives in me and it enables everyone that He's redeemed to live that way. We do sin and we do miss the mark even as Christians. And thank God that He forgives us. We can turn to Him. But we can love with love unfeigned or unhypocritical love like the Bible talks about. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that's better. Now I'll talk about this just for a moment. In the Old Testament, there was a relationship between people of God and the Holy Spirit. We've talked about it before, but just to refresh your memories, the Holy Spirit could and would come upon men. Holy Spirit came upon Saul. I'm talking about King Saul. Before he was actually... Uh, made king. He, and when he was little in his own eyes and he was humble and, and he had a, a tender heart, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. The Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him and he actually prophesied things of God. 
with the prophets. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson. And I just want to read this. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him, the Bible said, at times. And it moved in, in Samson's life with this supernatural strength to, to defeat the enemies, the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. Uh, and another scripture about Samson says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So God's Spirit would come and sort of come and go. Come and go. And there was a relationship and there was a fellowship. Certainly there was a fellowship with God. I mean, look at David's life. Enoch walked with God. Had a testimony that he pleased God. Old Testament saints can have wonderful, intimate relationships with God. But what I see as when I study the Bible is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that's new to the church age since Jesus came. And the Bible says, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we quote it all the time. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your mortal body and your spirits, which are God's, or belongs to God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the abode. That is something that's new for a New Testament believer. I'm going to read this, but it's a great scripture to jot down if you're interested and want to take notes. John 14, 16, and 17. Now here's Jesus soon before He went to the cross. And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another Comforter. That's Comforter with a capital C. That's the Holy Ghost. That He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you even at this time. Before he went to the cross, he dwells with you and shall be future in you. He dwells with you and shall be in you. And so it's a wonderful scripture. And uh, all the law and the prophets, y'all, foretold the coming of a Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Jewish Messiah. That prophet, he was called, right? Are you that prophet? They asked John the Baptist. All the prophets and the law prophesied and foretold that there was going to come a Savior provided by God, okay? Promised by God, provided by God. And then, in, the, in turn, accepted by God. Isn't that wonderful? Salvation is of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. God makes the promise to sinful men. We have no say so in it, so to speak. No, we're not assisting the Lord. He promises a coming Savior. I heard one preacher say, all we can rightly call our own is our sin. Okay? Um, God promised the Savior. Then, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, right? He provided a Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, when Jesus finished all of His work completely, God accepted that it's all wrapped up in a nice neat package with God and his son and the Holy Spirit salvation is of the Lord promised provided and accepted in return accepted on our behalf in other words whoever puts our faith in Jesus God accepts that because he accepts his son Jesus and that sacrifice that he made on the cross for our sins God promised that there would be a savior who would take away the sins of the world. Not merely cover them, but to take away the sins of the world. 
end. And that was Jesus Christ. He came. And I love this. Um, we, were, we were moving furniture out of, out, of, uh, out of Anna and Margaret Miguel's apartment yesterday in Lake Charles. And I, I was packing up some books upstairs on the third floor. And I, I, was, I don't know if it was a poster or a picture or something she had. But she had this word, uh, teleo. And teleo, I think is how it's pronounced in the Greek. When Jesus was on the cross and he had been ridiculed and mocked and fulfilled the law and done everything, uh, he's hanging between two thieves and they're spitting upon him. Every scripture is fulfilled. And then he comes to a point where he says, it is finished. It's finished. It's finished, y'all. It's over. And he said, it's finished. And that's for this word, teleo. And I'm going to read the the definition. It means to end, to discharge, to complete, to accomplish, to fill up, to finish, to perform, to pay. It was done. Don't add to it. Don't add anything to it. Don't try to add anything to it. Rest in it. Believe in Jesus. Rest in Him. And Jesus says it is finished. Nobody took his life. He said, I lay it down. I have this authority or a commandment I have of my father. I take I lay it down and in three days I'm going to take it up again. You have no authority over me. It was all God. It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He gave it up and he said, it's finished. Everything in the in the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. But Jesus has come now. He not only has come, but he came and finished what he came to do. So it would be, I don't even know what the word would be, foolish. You could add different words to this. Pointless, vain, to try to still live under the types and shadows when the real has come. You understand what I'm saying? Everything, every article of the tabernacle. See that you make all things according to the pattern that was shown you in the Mount, Moses. Everything. The, the mercy seat that went over the Ark of the Covenant is exactly this size. This much by this much. And it's overlaid in pure gold. And it's got these two cherubims and their wings touch in the middle. And there I'll meet with you. Uh, everything about the tabernacle, everything about the, the, the feasts, everything about the candlestick with the light, I'm the light of the world. That, that showbread that was there, I'm the bread of life. Everything about it, including the law and the prophets, all of it pointed to Jesus. They were pictures, types, and shadows of one. Not many, not a new system or something like that, but of Christ. This is the New Testament in my blood. And He finished it. And because He finished it, it would be pointless and foolish and faithless to live under the types and shadows as though He hadn't come yet. He has come. Okay? So I'm no longer under types and shadows trying to figure it out and piece it together. And, you know, are you the one? Are you the one? He's the one. Okay? He came and He did it. And He said, it's finished. The Bible says, for all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. John the Baptist. All the law and the prophets prophesied up until John the Baptist's ministry. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. They prophesied until then. And then John said, here he is. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus said, here I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then Jesus says, it is finished. And he finished it all. We don't have to look any further. Amen? We don't have to look any further. It's all finished in the Lord. And the Bible says, uh, Jesus was rebuking the Jews in his day because they were still living under the types and shadows in the law. They were still living under the schoolmaster instead of waking up and saying, oh wait, Christ, He's the promised one. Simeon got it, right? He waited for the consolation of Israel. Holy Ghost said, here He is, even though He's just a baby. He saw it. And in the Bible, Jesus said, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed Me. If you really believe Moses in the law, like you say you do, you would have believed Me. Me personally. For he wrote of me. Moses wrote of Jesus. It all foreshadowed the Lord in his coming. I love this scripture. Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And they they are they which testify of me and you will not come unto me that you might be saved. That was a rebuke. That last part. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Well, you do in a sense, because they would point you to Christ. They are they which testify of Me. Everything before Jesus came, everything testified of Jesus' first coming. And He says, and you won't come to Me that you might have life. Oh, how I want to give you life. But you're still living under this types and shadows and bondages and, and, and things like that. One, everything's better in Jesus. Once He's come... He's come. He's not foretold anymore. Second coming is prophesied of. Uh, but y'all, just for uh, just real quickly, I just want to touch on, you know, all of the. I, I had a passage I want to read. I'm not going to do it for time's sake. But in in Exodus 29, if you want to read it sometime, 38 through 43, it's just a little passage of all the uh, the animal sacrifices that had to be made. And and one of the phrases that was used over and over in that passage in Exodus was continual. Every morning there was to be, you know, regardless of the holiday or who committed what sin or whatever among the Israelites, every day on that brazen altar, in the morning there was to be a blood sacrifice offered, and in the evening there was to be a blood sacrifice offered. And it was very specific and prescribed how it was to be done. That's not to mention the countless other, like if I committed a sin, I would bring my offering to the priest and he would offer it up a blood sacrifice to make atonement or covering for my sin. My point in this is I was thinking about it. What labor, what continual, even for people that knew the Lord and walked with the Lord and, and trusted Him by faith, they still were walking under this system. A lot of bloodshed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices that were made. And when done God's way, God would receive it as an atonement or covering for the sin. But there was a lot of work, I guess is my point. If anybody here has ever killed a deer or a big animal, which I have before, uh, it is not easy. It's hard work to clean a deer. You know, an animal is 150, 200 pounds, and you're going to hoist, hoist it up somewhere. And I'll have to go into all the details, but I mean, you're going to clean a deer. It's heavy. It's hard. They got bones you cut through. There's all kinds of stuff. There's hacksaws. It's not easy to do. And these sacrifices were made continually. It was 
a chore. It was hard. Thank God that He provided that to make atonement for... I'm not bad-mouthing. I'm simply saying the labor that had to go into that continually. But in Jesus, all that's put away. All that's thrown away. And think about it. Even though there was an atonement or covering for men's sin under the law and under those animal sacrifices because God provided it, right? They could never cleanse a man's heart. The blood of a sheep, a goat, a bull, an animal could never spiritually cleanse a man's heart or their conscience from sin. God would accept it and say, okay, so they didn't die. The person that committed the sin makes the offering. God receives it as an atonement. Provides it as an atonement. But it never made the sinner clean inwardly. That part, they had to go to the Lord like David did. Wash me and I will be clean. Right? You wash me. You, Lord. I don't want the blood of an animal. It can't get in there. It's not going to do it. Spiritually, God, You wash me and I will be clean. Only Jesus' blood received by for those that receive Him by faith, can do that. I want to read these Scriptures. And we're, we're going to be bringing this to a close. Just keeping in mind our theme that everything's better in Jesus. Okay? Hebrews 10, I'm sorry, 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? blood of an animal couldn't do that. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10.1 For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Whoever brought those, including the priests themselves, they were offering those animal sacrifices made atonement, but they never made the comer, the one who offered them, perfect. It says could never. Verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest, Old Testament priest, standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, listen, which can never, never take away sins. They could not. Those sacrifices could never. And so, just, just talking about this in, in the Lord. There was a labor in, in this Levitical system. Packing up the tabernacle and moving it from place to place. Setting it up. This many porters that were to stand around. This many that were to carry the, the tabernacle. And this many that were to carry the ark. And this many that were to offer the sacrifices. And uh, this many singers in the tabernacle and later in the temple. There was a lot of labor Okay, believers in Christ, we still labor, but we don't labor in order to be saved. We don't labor in order to be justified. We don't labor to hopefully make, you know, cross your fingers, I hope I'm good enough to make it to heaven. We don't, we labor and it, it's a labor of love. That's what it says in Hebrews. It's a labor of love because we delight to do His will. When we're walking in the Spirit, we do. Because His law by the Holy Ghost is written in our minds and in our hearts. Amen? And so there's a labor, but we're laboring from a position of strength. We're laboring from a position of victory. We're laboring because Christ has redeemed us. Amen? 
because he has redeemed us. And Paul said, it's all by his grace, right? I am what I am by the grace of God. And he says his labor is not bestowed upon me in vain. He goes, but I labor more abundantly than they all. So he's still working. He's not working in order to be saved, to be righteous, to hopefully make it to heaven. Like a Muslim, hoping that his good works outweigh his bad and he did enough good Muslim things that hopefully Allah will accept him and his good outweighs his bad. A lot of people look at God that way. But the Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Him that works not, but believes on him, that's faith, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We do work, but we're not working to be saved. We're working because he has saved me. And he has empowered me by his spirit. This is better, okay? A better uh, priesthood, a better priest, a better sacrifice, a better hope, a better promise, a better covenant. It all comes to men through Christ. This is the New Testament or covenant in my blood. The Son of God, the Word became flesh, who was born of a virgin who lived a sinless life, who suffered and died for the sins of all men, who rose again in power the third day, all in accordance to those Old Testament Scriptures. All in accordance to those Old Testament Scriptures. And He comes and indwells those that give their life to Him. He cleanses us. He makes us His children. The Bible says He came unto His own. His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were, not, which were born not of, of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. It's of God. Okay? Born again of the will of God. And so He's coming back one day. And I'm bringing this to a close, but everything's better in Jesus. And one of the reasons, and there are many, okay, is that His priesthood is a continual priesthood. He is forever at the right hand of the Father. Henceforth expecting to his enemies or till his enemies are made uh, his footstool. He is at the right hand of the Father as our high priest and our advocate and as our intercessor. And we can come into his presence. Um, and it's, it's ongoing. It's forever and ever and ever. Every one of those priests, and there was a specific age where the pre Levitical priests they had to come from the tribe of Levi. They were specific ones that were priests. And those priests were not able to continue, the Bible says, by reason of death. They got old and died one day. But Jesus doesn't get old and die one day. He laid down His life. He took it up again. I am He that lived and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and death. He's alive forevermore. That's better, isn't it? Isn't that better in Christ? I just want to read a couple of Scriptures in closing. The Bible says of the Lord, who is made not after the law, speaking of Jesus, not after the law, Hebrews 7, of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. An endless life. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How long? Forever. Those other priests weren't priests forever. But our priest is. He is our intercessor continually. He is at the right hand of the Father as our advocate continually. He is our friend forever. He is our good shepherd forever. He's our Savior and our Lord forever. And, and Paul says, Be it known unto you, this is his sermon in, in Antioch, in the synagogue, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. 
and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Couldn't do it. Everything's better in Jesus. Amen. Everything's better. And I love this. For by one offering, B, you can come. Hebrews 10:14, for by one offering he has perfected. Jesus, that one offering. All those other thousands or hundreds of thousands. How many offerings were offered over 1,500 years? I don't know. But Jesus did it once. For by one offering, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Or those that have put their faith in Jesus. Those that are born again. Amen? And I'm closing with this Scripture, y'all. We opened with it, but I just thought we'd read it again at the end. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And we want to draw, draw nigh to the Lord right now. Okay? We, we have the, the privilege to draw nigh to the Lord. Even under the tabernacle and temple worship, it was the only, the only the high priest. I know you know this. And it was only once a year. Only one man and only on one day on one occasion of a, of a whole year could he go into that most holy place where the, where the Lord says, I'll meet with you. I know men had relationships with God. But that, that was by faith. I'm talking about under this system though. But we can... By one offering, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereby we draw nigh unto God. We draw near to the Lord through the blood of Jesus. And you can't get any nearer than that. Amen? You can't get any nearer to that. You can't have any better access. You can't have any better advocate. You can't have any better helper on your side than the sinless blood of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. You can't have a better friend than that. He's on your side. Amen? Let's take some time, just a few moments, uh, to worship the Lord and to thank Him. Everything's better in Christ. The law was wonderful. The law wasn't the Savior. Everything's better in this new covenant in Jesus' blood.